Welcome to Ask the Expert. Oh, here he is. Um, today we are speaking with uh, Dr. Abhishek Jain. He's the Associate Professor, Department of Biomedical Engineering, College of Engineering at Texas A&M University. And also um, uh, Tanmay Mathur, who is uh, working with him in this project. Uh, together, they are working um, in the space of Organizana Chip. And I'm going to let them do a little bit of introduction um, on, uh, you know, what what it is they're pursuing at uh, Texas A&M. So, for, uh, welcome um, and thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, take it away. If you have slides, you can start now. Thank you for the introduction. Um, so, Tommy, are you a are you a graduate student or postdoc? So I'm a I'm a senior grad student. I'm about to defend. So. Oh, great. All right. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, as uh, as explained, I'll be talking about engineering diabetes and personalized uh, and vascularized organ chips. Uh, specifically, we will be talking about blood endothelial progenitor cells on a chip, uh, a disease and patient specific cell source for in vitro vascular tissue engineering platforms. So a major challenge in uh, modern medicine is its lack of specificity. Uh, different individuals respond differently to the same treatment. Uh, in fact, studies have shown that only four to twenty-five percent patient, uh, four to two twenty-five percent uh, patients show positive signs of recovery. Then there's these large group of non-responders, and finally we have up to twenty percent patients who show negative uh, adverse side reactions. Uh, this can be primarily attributed to the fact that we do not have physiologically relevant humanized disease screening models. Uh, on the other hand, personalized treatment can significantly improve. Uh, patient health and it can significantly reduce costs. But as I said, we currently do not have tools which can allow us to assess personalized treatment. This is where the organ on chip technology comes in. Uh, these microfluidic platforms can be functionalized independently and cooperatively to mimic uh, physiological uh, tissues or physiological uh, flow patterns. For example, in the context of vessel chips or vessel organ chips. Uh, we can functionalize these, uh, these devices with uh, human-specific uh, cells like endothelial cells, uh, humanized endothelial cells. We can, perfused, uh, we can perfuse whole human blood through these devices. And finally, we can, we can manipulate the flow patterns through these devices by connecting them to programmable pumps. So these platforms can allow us to, uh, to, uh, to, to perform a dissectable investigation of the contribution of each of these factors to the pathogenesis of any disease. Uh, however, that being said, even the current organ on chips or vessel chips primarily have uh, certain limitations. Most of these platforms utilize cells that have been isolated from healthy individuals. Uh, the figure in front of you shows uh, some common primary endothelial cells that are being used in uh, the vessel chip uh, platforms. And as I said, these are isolated from healthy individuals. So it is very difficult to model disease with high specificity using these uh, primary cells. And we cannot perform a patient-specific investigation using these cells anyways. Uh, as an alternative, uh, with the advancement in IPSC differentiation technology, uh, researchers have been uh, able to differentiate induced pluripotent stem cells into mature endothelial cells. However, this process is also time-consuming. It requires sophisticated training and uh, requires uh, expensive reagents which might not be accessible to a lot of groups. This is a common differentiation pro uh, protocol that has been published to obtain uh, endothelial cells. As you can see, uh, different growth factors need to be administered at different times and a small error in the time of administration can cause catastrophic changes in the final yield of your product. 
So the need of the R is to find a suitable alternative endothelial cell source, which is relatively easier to obtain and can differentiate and, and is disease specific and patient specific. So we have identified one such cell source, uh, which we call blood outgrowth endothelial cells. Uh, these uh, studies have shown these are late stage endothelial progenitor cells found in circulating blood. Uh, studies have shown that BOECs are increased in cardiovascular patients. Uh, they are highly proliferative. Once we isolate them from blood, we can obtain more than a million cells within two to three weeks of expansion from a very small number of cells present initially in blood. Uh, once isolated, they exhibit the classic endothelial cobblestone morphology, which is similar to all other endothelial primary cells that we have been using. And compared to iPSC endothelial cells, uh, it's easier, it, BOEC isolation and expansion is relatively easier and straightforward. That being said, really the hypothesis that we are trying to test here is that are these BOECs that are being derived from diseased patients, are they able to carry the disease phenotype? And can they mimic this in vivo dysfunction that we are observing uh, on any in vitro platform? So uh, this is a small video showing uh, a BOEC lumen on one of our microfluidic chips, which was 200 micron wide and 75 micron high. So this video shows that, yes, we are able to culture these cells and these cells are able to make 3D confluent lumens. But before we could go forward and test our hypothesis, uh, we wanted to characterize these cells compared to existing endothelial cells like HUEX and iPSC-derived endothelial cells. So we off the top of the head, we just compare the morphology of these cells. And as, as you can see, they exhibit the classic cobblestone morphology, which is also observed in primary human umbilical vein endothelial cells, as well as the iPSC-derived endothelial cells. Uh, then we also wanted to study the surface marker expression of BOECs for common endothelial markers like weak, adherent, CD31, and uh, VEGFR2. And uh, as expected, the expression levels of BO of these three markers in BOECs are similar across uh, compared to these other two endothelial cell types. Uh, we also wanted to study how these cells behave in terms of their growth kinetics and uh, if we can monitor that. So we performed a scratch assay with these three cell types. And as expected, there is no statistical difference in the growth rates between the three cell types for the first 24 hours, uh, showing that BOECs exhibit comparable growth rates and migration capabilities in vitro uh, compared to the two other endothelial cell types. We then also performed RNA sequencing because we wanted to study how, how BOECs defer to HUEX or iPACs in terms of their transcriptomic profiles. So we performed RNA sequencing and we find that there were around four 14,000 genes which were commonly expressed between the three cell types. However, uh, when we compared BOECs and iPACs independently to HUEX, uh, we find that BOECs were more transcriptomically closer to HUEX compared to iPACs, as you can see from these uh, correlation plots on, in the, at the bottom. On the right-hand side, we can also see, see the Pearson correlation coefficients. A higher Pearson correlation coefficient means that BOECs are closer to HUEX in terms of their expression profile. And hence, uh, these results suggested that BOECs might be functioning similar to HUEX, transcriptomically at least, compared to iPSCs. We then further performed uh, differential gene expression testing in iPSC ECs and BOECs compared to HUEX. And uh, what we find interestingly is that iPSC divided endothelial cells had more differentially expressed genes compared to HUEX. 
Uh, on the other hand, BOVCs had lesser differentially expressed genes compared to Hubex, which, su which suggests that BOVCs are actually behaving like Hubex because they have lesser number of genes which are differentially expressed uh, compared to Hubex. So the transcriptomic results so far showed that BOECs compared to IPACs were transcriptomically closer to Hubex. They were behaving like Hubex transcriptomically at least. We also then finally wanted to study how these cells respond to shear. As uh, everyone knows, uh, endothelial cells inside the body, they are always facing uh, or they are always witnessing uh, fluid shear stress. Uh, and that is what they like. So we wanted to study how each of these cells is responding to fluid shear stress. So we cultured these three independent cell types in a straight microfluidic channel, which was 200 micron wide and 75 micron high. Uh, you can see the image on the left hand side. Uh, we cultured these cells independently under constant media perfusion, uh, which were uh, at one microliter per minute, which for this particular design resulted in a shear rate of around 100 second inverse, which is a typical arteriolar shear rate found in a blood vessel of this size. Uh, so as expected, over when we performed a time-lapse study, we find that the BOECs exhibit a similar growth response under shear as well. And interestingly, what we also observed was that BOECs did not differ in terms of their orientation with respect to the flow direction, their average cell area, as well as their average circularity, uh, both without perfusion and with perfusion uh, compared to all other cell types. So. Overall, BOECs exhibited comparable growth rates and migration capabilities in vitro under perfusion compared to an endothelial, other endothelial cells. So summarizing the results that we have so far, what, what I have shown so far is that BO, healthy BOECs are actually similar to primary cells like UX and iPSC-derived endothelial cells. They have, they express endothelial markers, They're, they express the st uh, standard cobblestone endothelial morphology. They express similar lumen integrity. They also show same shear responses, and uh, they also have similar responses to exogenous stimulation. But what about our hypothesis? What about disease specificity? So to test my hypothesis of disease specificity, uh, we focused our attention on modeling endothelial dysfunction and type 1 diabetes. Uh, studies have actually shown that endothelial progenitor cell counts are actually reduced in type 1 diabetic patients. And uh, the proliferation rates of these EPCs is further reduced in diabetes. And because of the hyperglycemia, the uh, hyperglycemic conditions that exist within uh, type 1 diabetic patients, uh, this leads to oxidative stress, which further leads to endothelial dysfunction. So we wanted to test the hypothesis that we BOECs isolated from diabetic individuals would be able to mimic the, these hallmarks, which have been observed clinically on our in vitro platform. And that they would be much more inflamed or uh, activated compared to our healthy uh, BOECs. So we went ahead and we isolated BOECs from healthy uh, controls as well as uh, diabetic individuals. And as expected, we find that diabetic endothelium requires, uh, was not able to reach confluence uh, under the same time that the control endothelium required to reach confluence. Wow, that uh, is really... Um remarkable that's a real that's such a difference uh, morphologically yeah and uh, culturing them further we found that they actually took roughly twice the amount of time to reach confluence which 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 basically showed that yes there is some difference in their proliferation rates uh we also wanted to study uh, their actual metabolic activity uh, using alamar blue or mtt assay so we used alamar blue both on a well plate format and 
our vessel chip format. And as expected, the diabetic uh, uh, endothelium had reduction in their uh, metabolic activity with time. And this was observed both under the flow as well as static conditions. Uh, we also wanted to test the presence of reactive oxygen species in both uh, healthy as well as diabetic BOECs. Uh, and when we performed the oxidative stress analysis, we find that diabetic endothelium is definitely, uh, it has more oxidative stress compared to the uh, control cells. Finally, we wanted to study how these BOECs differ in terms of their endothelial activation and can they induce, th uh, can they induce thromboinflammation. So we cultured contro uh, healthy control BOECs in our microfluidic channels, then we also cultured uh, diabetic BOECs in these microfluidic channels. And as positive controls, we, we also cultured primary endothelial cells. And we had another condition where we had exogenously stimulated those primary endothelial cells with TNF-alpha, five nanograms per uh, ml TNF-alpha. And as expected, after a whole blood perfusion experiment for about 15 minutes at arteriolar shear conditions, as expected, we do not find any platelet adhesion on the untreated primary endothelial cell channel as well as our control BOECs, uh, which shows that the control BOECs were not inflamed at all. They were behaving as uh, regular endothelial cells in vitro. And as expected, the TNF-alpha treated de uh, device had more platelet addition compared to the untreated device. And finally, interestingly, we find that the diabetic BOECs had the highest amount of platelet addition to its surface, showing that diabetic BOEC was indeed activated without any exogenous stimulation. Uh, mm -hmm. compared to any other or compared to the control BOVC. Uh, yeah. Quantifying these results, we can see a dramatic increase in the platelet coverage compared to uh, control BOECs. So these results co collectively so far show that diabetic or diseased BOECs are able to mimic the physiological uh, behavior that we, we are observing clinically on any in vitro, in vitro platform and that control BOECs behave like healthy uh, cells. So we we can say that BOECs might be suitable to study disease specificity, but uh, so I'm not showing results uh, uh, of the work that we have done ahead of this. So the work that I've shown uh, so far has been disseminated uh, in three uh, journal papers. Uh, the journal that you can see in the middle, we, uh, we wanted to study or we wanted to test our hypothesis uh, and we wanted to go one step further. Uh, so, so far we had shown that these cells are disease specific, but we wanted to test if these cells are also patient specific. Can, are these cells sensitive enough to differentiate different patients within the same population? The big question. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I said that's the big question for yeah, that's the big medicine. Question. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so, um, we didn't test that hypothesis with type 1 diabetes. Uh, we focused our attention on uh, modeling endothelial dysfunction and sickle cell disease. Uh, but in my second uh, manuscript, we have shown that when we do perform the same analysis with BOECs from multiple sickle cell patients, we are able to see differences in their uh, hallmarks, both transcriptomically and functionally on our vessel chip platform. So overall, BOECs might be a, they, they might be a suitable alternative to current endothelial cell sources, uh, as they are relatively easy to obtain compared to iPAC-derived endothelial cells. So in summary, these vessel chips made from blood may serve in preclinical discovery uh, and personalized assessment. And I would like to mention here that although we have focused our uh, attention on modeling endothelial dysfunction on 
in uh, type 1 diabetes as well as sickle cell disease. In theory, this hypothesis can be extended to other diseases as well, like cancer-associated uh, thrombosis, deep vein thrombosis, beta thalassemia, etc. Yeah, yes. that I would like to end my presentation, and I would like to thank my team, especially Dr. Dr. Jain, for guiding me throughout this journey, as well as our uh, funding sources. Uh, we we got funded. This project was funded by the 2018 Trailblazer Award, which was awarded by the NIH and IBIB. And I would also like to thank uh, Texas A&M University and the Biomedical Engineering Department here at A&M. Yeah, that's it. If I would like to answer any questions. Thank you, uh, Tanmay, and soon to be called uh, Dr. Mathur. Hi. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, this is a really, really excellent body of work. And um, it's so interesting. This um, model system, right, could be really used in many places. You could, you know, you could use it in the prodrome, uh, those who have just one autoantibody to type 1 diabetes, two antibodies, and see how that impacts those folks, right? Or you could also look at um, sort of post-diagnosis implications in the uh, vasculature and the circulation. Uh, this has a wide um, a reach into type 1 diabetes, uh, as far as I can see. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit from uh, Dr. Jane. What are your thoughts on where this might you know, go? I think you have to unmute yourself. You know, I agree with you, and that is our hypothesis. You know, this is something um, that we found almost serendipitously, you know, these outgrowth endothelial cells have been studied for a couple of decades now, not too long ago, but for at least 10, 15, 20 years. And, uh, you know, there is no clear, well-defined characterization or even a definition of what these cells particularly represent. Um, but when we isolate these cells and we, when we put them together in these organon chips, we see that they actually exhibit a lot of these symptoms that you actually see clinically in some of these patients. So in the context of type 1 diabetes, for example, I think at least for some of these advanced patients uh, who might be having these downstream or collaborative um, stroke-like symptoms that are hard to track or hard to diagnose, uh, and there are some of these markers are not available are not very specific within the blood cells. Uh, you and you cannot do biopsy of actual tissue. Maybe these outgrowth endothelial cells might be telling us a story. They might be telling us something about these patients that the clinicians need to know early on in some of these advanced patients. So yeah, um, I mean they they could certainly be uh, you know kind of helping uh, clinicians to find progression to correct you know, problems. Uh, but yeah. I also, I also think that there could be a real utility for this technology or this, you know, model system in um, tracking changes during the prodrome. You know, as, um, as people progress to type one, what is happening? You know, before, even before they even, you know, become diagnosed with type one, we know that there are certain stages of um, progression and that those stages correspond with different uh, yeah. you know, biomarkers. But I mean, this might even give more insight yeah. into things. Absolutely. And I think for, when you mentioned early stage, so I, I'm not hundred percent sure at this stage, whether, you know, vascular endothelial markers are of relevance for early stage diabetes. Maybe they are, and maybe we don't know, maybe we know about it 
but we haven't looked at it. So if right. it turns out that they are important, then this this could be a very, very valuable uh, resource to track down early stage patients and find out some of these symptoms at an early stage as well. I completely agree. And the fact is that these are all blood resource cells. So, you know, it's, you know, a patient goes to the clinic, they do a blood draw anyways. So, you know, you could very easily add that into the biomarker panel that you would not do otherwise or not routinely done, but this could be done. And how easy would that be, um, you know, to, you know, the scale, you know, to scale it up to, to patients who are just entering their prodrome or have their first autoantibody? And, and right. who would you coordinate with? Would this be like through TrialNet or, you know, mm-hmm. how would it I think, work? Yeah, so this will have to be, this is a lab assay in the sense that it's not a bench. I don't see it as a, as an assay that you could do it in the clinic as an instant readout. Mm. I think you you would have to wait for results for maybe two days or three days, and the sample will have to be sent to a, a specific a diagnostic lab or, or a company that would do the, do the assay. They would actually isolate the cells, culture them, which would take a day or so, and then they will send the result back. So it's not an emergency care type of a diagnostic where you right. need an instant result. Yeah. Uh, but it would maybe take a day or two to get get it, but it would still be faster than a biopsy result. Oh, sure. And right? what about, so, I mean... Somewhere, somewhere <laughs> in there. Where What kind of companies might be, um, you know, potential uh, targets to do something, to do this assay? You know, I would, I would, I would be... I would be excited to see if, you know, a company like Quest Diagnostic or Abbott pick, pick something like this up and they say, okay, we want to invest... You know, they already have the tools and they already have the infrastructure to do blood assays. So they have everything in place. So um, they, they could adopt uh, uh, this kind of a technology and put it in their mix of diagnostic as well if, when diagnostic is of, is of interest. Yeah. Do you think they would require some kind of laboratory, uh, you know, verification that there actually are changes first? I think so, right? Um, if you, if, if you do mean like it, it will require like an FDA path, pathway to get, get maybe, or maybe just like, you know, some kind of paper showing that there are, you know, this system can detect changes, uh, as early as, uh, you know, at the advent of the first autoantibody. Absolutely. I think there, it, the, this will require some form, form of more advanced clinical validation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there any, are there any questions in the audience? I see there's a couple people here, maybe not today, but um, yeah, I think this is really, really interesting. And can I ask also, um, when you, I guess, have you, has anyone or your team looked at sort of genetic changes in the BOECs or the blood outgrowth endothelial cells? Um, have you noticed anything? So we did a very, we did, we have done a very rigorous, you know, RNA sequencing of these cells. So we have all of those data sets available to us that we have actually published and we have also put them in a repository. So um, we have done this characterization. We have looked at a variety of pathways that get activated in patient BOECs relative to normal. So the normal BOECs are very close to, you know, primary endothelial cells. Yes. Um, but these patient cells, they exhibit uh, a lot of these signaling pathways that are upregulated, a lot of these genes getting upregulated that you would expect to see in a patient who has vascular disease. Yes. So you have sort of like time, you know, t- uh, time stamps or 
you know, kind of different, um, you know, snapshots uh, of, of these different genetic changes, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, we have also look, looked at some time course changes as well. Right. So we have some data on that as well. Fantastic. All right. Well, if, if anyone is interested in reaching out to uh, the Jane group and maybe, you know, in a collaborative uh, way, uh, it sounds like this is, you know, this um, system that you've developed is ripe for more exploration. And, um, you know, congratulations to Tanme Mathur as he defends his uh, thesis and goes on to the next uh, thing for his postdoc. And uh, I would also just comment that, you know, he's well-versed in this system. So uh, I'm sure he's going to have a lot of options. So congratulations. And um, I can't wait to see what your laboratory does next. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you guys have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.